Thanks, guys. Appreciate the you leading us in worship. It's good to worship with you. Good to be back here in Norwalk during these crazy days. And uh, glad to celebrate the Lord with you. Glad to sing with you. The, some of the words struck me uh, that he is the artist, we are the canvas. He is the potter, we are the clay. And God's goal for each of us is to shape us more and more into the likeness of his son. It happens over time. And as we were reading those words or singing those words, I was thinking about a, a kind of book that you'll find at BAM or Barnes & Noble, one of the national franchises. It's perhaps the most popular book that you'll find in these bookstores, and it's the self-help section. One of the most popular self-help authors is a guy by the name of Tony Robbins. Do you know the name? A, a big, tall, handsome guy. People get us mixed up all the time. But uh, he was uh, interviewed on his private jet, and this is what he said. Highly successful people are always hungry. Do you buy that? He goes on to say, if you can maintain a constant sense of hunger, you will be driven to achieve your most outlandish dreams. I, I would imagine if we went around the room and had a chance to share each of us, we could probably talk about a time, many of us could, about a, a dream that we had. And we just put our nose to the grindstone. We gave it our very best effort. We put the, the pedal to the metal and we went for it. And lo and behold, our dream came true. Uh, we were successful in that endeavor. There's some truth to that. Uh, maybe you've uh, seen the 10-part documentary series, The Last Dance, about Michael Jordan. What an incredible guy. What a driven guy. What a successful guy. And uh, he, I remember hearing him say, uh, more than I love winning, I hate losing. <laughs> How's that for a drivenness, for a hunger? Maybe that was LeBron James who said that. I forget that... Who's better? I don't know. That's a, that's a discussion we can have sometime. The idea is this, is that successful people tend to be hungry. There's some truth to that. I know this, that as, as Christ followers, as Christians, we, we have both a privilege and a responsibility. Our privilege is that God, God has given us a book called the Bible. It's called God's Word. And in that book, we have everything we need to know about going at life successfully. Everything we need to know. Now, now the responsibility is on us. We need to know it. We, we should look to God's Word to gain His perspective on different areas of life. What about the pandemic? What is God's perspective on, life, on, on the pandemic? Right now, I'm reading a thin book I just ordered by M.T. Wright, very easy read. He's a theologian, an author that many of us on staff really appreciate. And I'm trying to get God's perspective on this pandemic thing. Or, or what about racial tensions? What does God's word have to say about that? Or what does God's word have to say about um, this crazy political climate they're in right now and the different candidates on the horizon? Nuts. Or the school thing that Pastor Charles prayed about just a few moments ago. Here, here's, here's what we got to be careful of, is that we are not getting our perspectives from our favorite news outlet or from our favorite social media or from our favorite friend. First and foremost, we need to gain perspective from God's Word. 
who has principles in there, who helps us arrive at healthy conclusions. Well, I once heard this quote, that, that we, people, we are, not, we are not physical beings having a spiritual experience. We are, first of all, spiritual beings having a physical experience. What that quote means is that I have flesh and bones, you have flesh and bones, we have bodies that one day will be gone. <laughs> but we have souls that God has made that will live forever somewhere. Now, the Bible teaches that one day when Jesus comes again, we will be given new glorified bodies. That's for a discussion on another day. But between this day and that day, uh, we have these souls that we are to nurture, that God has given us. And our souls hunger and thirst. But for what? What should our soul hunger and thirst for? What would be God's perspective on that? In the next minutes together, I want to introduce you to a, a sentence I'd like us to know and understand, and we'll develop it as we go. And it goes like this. Living the good life, that's the name of the series that we're in, the good life, the study of the Beatitudes. Living the good life means having a hunger and thirst for personal and practical righteousness because that is what will truly satisfy our souls. The word satisfy, it's... What that means is to, is to be blessed. It means to be deep down made happy. It means that our soul is smiling. Jesus put it like this. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Now that's the fourth of eight Beatitudes. We're going through all the Beatitudes. We started a few weeks ago with the very first one. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. What that means has nothing to do with poverty of riches. It has to do with poverty of spirit. We recognize we are spiritually bankrupt and apart from God, and we need God. We, we come to the end of ourselves, poverty in spirit. I need you, God. And then we talked about be, mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. We, we mourn over the sin in our lives. We understand our sin nature and how devastating that is, and that we need God. And then blessed are those who are meek, which means those who understand what it means to walk humbly and gently before God and before others to be meek. Even though we may have strength, we can be humble and gentle and entrust all things to the sovereignty of God. We come today to blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. What does it mean to hunger and thirst? Here's one definition. It means to have a vivid desire. Vivid isn't a word I use very often. It means to be alive. It means to be fully alive, to have a, 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 an intense, alive appetite, hunger, passion for something. But what are we to be hungry and thirsty for? That's what Jesus tells us. He tells us righteousness. That's, that's a bit of an obscure term one that we need to understand a little bit better. Before we get to that, let's talk about the hunger and thirst that we know most naturally that we wake up to every day. Have you ever gotten into a television show and it just becomes your show? You want to watch it. In fact, you binge watch it. You go back and look at the past seasons. My wife, Annette, and I recently found one. It was recommended to us. It's on the History Channel called Alone. Maybe you've seen it. 
And what happens is 10 individuals are placed out in the wilderness far apart from each other. And the, the idea is that they have to outlast each other. They have no idea how the others are doing. But the last person standing wins $500,000. Think you could do it? Well, they've gone to places like the, the Patagonia in Argentina. They've gone to Mongolia. They've gone to Vancouver Island. Now they're up in the Arctic. This season, it's, it's the, 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 the person who goes 100 days gets a million dollars. Now, you're allowed to take a few things out there to help survive, but you have to try to make it. And gradually, as you watch the other seasons, uh, people tap out. They call, I'm, I'm tapping out. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. Sometimes it's because they're truly alone. They feel that they lack that human touch. They miss their families. But oftentimes it's because they don't have the right foods to nourish their bodies. They can't catch enough fish. They can't eat enough chipmunks, literally. And uh, they, they realize, I, I'm done. So they tap out. Because they don't have enough fats. They don't have enough protein. They don't have enough nutrients, they don't have carbohydrates, they're done. Now gradually, those who tap out in the winter, they make them their way back to culture, and, and they feed themselves whatever they want, and they have clean water to drink. They have satisfied their appetite. They've satisfied their thirst. You know what that's like to be satisfied after a good meal. What Jesus has in mind here is something completely different different, more, more profound, deeper, richer. It's, it's a satisfying of the soul. How do you do that? How do you satisfy the soul? Righteousness. Well, we're in a series called The, the Good Life. Sounds like a TV show, The Good Place. I guess it could be that also. The, the, the good life. When we align our lives with what are called the, the kingdom values, which are, which are given to us in the Sermon on the Mount, of which the Beatitudes are part, of which this Beatitude is a part of it, when we align ourselves with these kingdom values, we begin to experience the good life. I mean, deep down in our souls, we become truly happy, satisfied, because now we are behaving in a way that God made us to live. Righteousness. Now, that's, that's not a term we use very often. It's not a term I use very often. I, it's in the Bible throughout, but maybe you use it, but I don't that often. What does, what does that mean, righteousness? Simply, it means to desire what is right, to have a vivid, acute desire for what is right. Now, as we look through the New Testament, we'll find that the word righteousness is used in a couple of different ways. One way, it's more vertical. It has to do with a right relationship with God. And the other way is a more horizontal way, right relationships with people or doing what is right as we live here on earth. So, we could say, first of all, we are to vividly desire personal righteousness. That is a right relationship with God. In this room, we often talk about the gospel, which is every week we talk about the gospel, which is the good news. May I just rehearse it for you just one more time? You've heard it a million times. Sometimes we yawn at the idea of righteousness because we, we forget just how good it is to be rightly related to God. The Bible tells us that, that, that God is perfect. 
that he is perfectly righteous. He is perfectly right. In fact, you and I have a sense of a universal moral code separating right from wrong because God has hardwired that into us. We have a sense of rightness. And in the beginning, mankind, we were perfectly united with God. Everything was right. But then humans walked away from God's leadership and there was a separation, unrighteousness, a sinful nature that we all share together. And because of that, we are separated from God. But because of God's incredible love toward us and all of creation, he came in the person of Jesus to take our sin onto himself, to take the penalty of our sin onto himself, and thereby making a bridge back to God for us. Now, what God asks us to do is to believe in Jesus, is to put our faith and trust in Jesus, to confess our sin, to admit our sin, to confess our need for a Savior, to confess that we are unrighteous, unrighteous and we need God. And when we do that, when we take that step of faith and say, I will follow Jesus all the days of my life, something amazing happens. Theologians call it the great exchange. Jesus takes on to himself our sin and the penalty of our sin. And in exchange, he gives us the righteousness of God which means now we have a right relationship with God, not because of anything we did, but because of what God did for us through Christ. That is the number one thing we should desire, a right relationship with God. Have a vivid desire for personal righteousness. That is a right relationship with God. Now, when that happens, something amazing occurs. God's Spirit comes to live within and gives us a new way to live, a new way to look at life, a new perspective, a desire, actually, to live right in God's eyes and before others. We might say we are to vividly desire practical righteousness. The first, personal righteousness, is vertical. This is horizontal. How do I do right here on earth? Now, there are a lot of really good verses we could look at in the Bible that have to do with practical righteousness, doing right here on earth. But one of my favorites, and maybe one of your favorites, maybe it's in your office or hanging up in your home somewhere, or it's underlined in your Bible. It comes from Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Do you know it? Micah says, no, O people, and he's trying to correct what they were thinking. He says, no, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Do you know those words? Sometimes it says to do what is just, or to, or to, to uh, justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Aren't those great words? That's the life of a Christian. It reminds me of a movie. <laughs> um, in our home, my wife, Annette, she likes certain types of movies, some of the more sophisticated, some of the more classic kind of movies, Les Miserables, Pride and Prejudice, some of the Turner classic movies with Jimmy Stewart and some of those, you know. For me, I, I still watch The Three Stooges. That's how different we are. And, and, the, and my top drawer movies would go like this. Napoleon Dynamite, Nacho Libre, and The Three Amigos. 
In fact, the other day I got home after a long Sunday morning and my wife was out of town and I turned on the Three Amigos and watched it for like the 20th time. Oh my. In the Three Amigos, there is a mantra they use. Do you know it? It goes like this. This is how sick it is that I know this by heart. Where there is injustice, you will find us. Where there is suffering, we will be there. Where liberty is threatened, you will find the three amigos. It's with Chevy Chase, Martin Short, and Steve Martin. That's how serious it is. But I love that. Isn't that, that mantra? We Christians could use a mantra like that. How about something like, wherever there is injustice, wherever there is unrighteousness, you will find us. Wherever there is a lack of mercy, you will find us being merciful and stooping down and scooping people up and coming to their rescue. Wherever there is a prideful poke in God's eye, you will find us Christians living humbly and meek and gently before God and before others. That's what a Christian would do. And when we do that, when we live like that, well, you know what happens? Deep down, our soul smiles. We become satisfied because we've taken this practical righteousness seriously. And you've been there. As a Christ follower, you've been there. Do you remember the time when you did not want to serve somebody, but you did it anyway, and you walked away thinking, ah. Oh. Do you remember the time when you gave out of your own poverty just to help somebody who was worse off? Remember the time when someone was hurting so badly they were lost and confused about God and you didn't have time to tell your story about faith and trust in Jesus, but you did it anyway? Do you remember the time when you refused to laugh at an off-color joke or you refused to tell an off-color joke you did the right thing? Do you remember the time when you just spoke the truth in love? You didn't want to, but you did because it was the right thing? Do you remember when, and I could go on and on, you fill in the blank, but do you remember, and do you remember what happened? And maybe it cost you something, or maybe it was inconvenient, but it was the right thing, and deep down, you were blessed. Deep down, your soul was satisfied. That's what Jesus is talking about. You know what happened? You acted like Jesus would act if he were you. Now, for some of us, at times, we can get a little bit, I don't know, weary of being merciful, walking humbly, doing the right thing. We're human. But if we let that go for too long, maybe we have to ask ourselves a question. Perhaps, perhaps we are not taking the horizontal practical righteousness enough because we have forgotten the vertical right standing we have with God. The grace that God has shown us, the love that God has shown us, the mercy that God has shown us, that we are to reflect to all those around us. Blessed are those. who long for righteousness. Now, I want to be clear. I, people like Tony Robbins and other self-help authors, they can be very helpful. 
And I want to be clear, too, that it's not wrong to be successful. It's not wrong to have even a little bit of hunger for success. It's not wrong to be wealthy. It's not wrong to have prestige in our community. But it is wrong to think that that's going to satisfy you deep down in your soul. It's going to be a relationship with God and treating others in response to what we have in Christ. Jesus says something interesting at the end of the Beatitudes. Each week we're talking about this. He says, when you live out the Beatitudes, something's going to happen. You're going to be like a light on a hill. You're going to be like a light in a dark room. And somebody is going to see that. And this is what's going to happen. They may see your good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. I mean, you might tell somebody about your faith in Jesus and they might yawn. But when they see you living out your faith in Jesus and doing what is right and walking humbly and showing mercy, they'll go, wow, now that is something. Each week, we're given a be the light challenge. Be the light challenge. We are not, you know, what Jesus does in these first verses of Matthew is basically a summary of the grand arc, the grand narrative of the whole Bible. You and I, we are blessed to be a blessing. And so we're giving the Be the Light Challenge. How can we be the light this week? Here's one idea for you. Have three encouraging conversations with people you would normally wouldn't talk to. I don't know, that might be somebody in your home. Hopefully you're talking to them. But it might be a clerk at work or at the store. It might be a waitress. It, it might be somebody of a different ethnicity you would typically walk right on by. Who might that be? Courage. Who? Word. You know, you know what it means to encourage. It means to inject courage. Who might need to be injected with courage? And you could, and you could step forward and do the right thing. Um, let me just close with our with our with our with our sentence, which summarizes what we've just talked about. Living the good life means having a hunger and thirst for personal. That's our relationship with God and practical. That's our relationship with each other. Righteousness, because that is what will truly satisfy our souls. Satisfy, blessed, our souls deep down smiling. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. And the, I pray, God, that you would help each of us in this room gain your perspective on life, all that's going on with COVID and racial tensions and schools and the political uh, environment. Give us your perspective. Give us your perspective on what it means for our souls to hunger. Help us to hunger after the right thing. You and doing what's right as we live here on this earth, God. Give us your grace and help. Thank you for this week ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.